Praise the Lord. Today is an awesome day. It always is an awesome day in the presence of God. And it should be an awesome day even when you're not in church on a weekday when you go to work or when you're staying at home. It's always a what? An awesome day. But today is especially awesome because it's RG Takeover Sunday. Okay. I said today is awesome because it's RG Takeover Sunday. <laughs> Praise the Lord. We're going to do our RG confession and then we're going to get right into it. So if you could stand up and say this after me, please rise. And when we say this, please say it with meaning. This is the word of God. It is God speaking to me. My ears are attentive. My heart is receptive. And as I am taught the word, the seed of life will be planted. It will surely grow deep roots and it will produce its fruit in me. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. So first of all, um, per the instruction God gave me, I'm always going to start my sermon by reminding you that just as Jesus Christ is, so are what? So are what? So am I. So am I. As Jesus Christ is currently, so am I. Amen? That's just a public service announcement. Please always live in the awareness of that. You're not handicapped. Amen? You're not what? There's no such thing as a handicapped Christian. You understand? There's only a Christian who has been convinced that he or she is handicapped. But you're not actually handicapped because everything Jesus is right now, so are you. Amen? That being said, iron your clothes. Amen? Iron your clothes. Everyone say after me, iron your clothes. Look to your spouse and say, iron your clothes. Look to the other person, one that's not your spouse, and say, iron your clothes. Amen? The aquagi, it's very, very important. All right? It's important in the physical as well as in the spiritual. Amen? So how many of you here wash your clothes? I should say every hand go up. If any hand doesn't go up right now, that's a very disturbing uh, <laughs> reveal. How many of you here wash your clothes? Do you wash it? You wash it now? Okay. Is washing it enough? Do you wash your clothes and that's like, you're good? Uh, there's usually an extra process. You have to dry it. I'm just kidding. You have to iron it. You have to iron it. Because when you wash clothes, okay, for the most part, it comes out looking, you know, good, right? But what happens, especially if you're like me, that you hang 85% of your clothes, but the remaining 15%, they don't make it to the closet. What happens to those clothes? They get what? They get rumpled. They get rumpled. And then if you're like... I used to be, I'm not like, no, actually I still am, but um, I do it a little bit early. Like you wait like 10 minutes before you're about to go out <laughs> to select what you want to wear, 
then what do you have to do quickly? You have to go iron it. And this is um, something God has been teaching me. Um, he called it God in the natural. This is a very important spiritual principle that you undergo an ironing process. You undergo God's ironing process. What do I mean by ironing? Proving. Proving. Say proving. Proving. In God's proving process, it accomplishes two things. Number one, it proves you. It proves you. Number two, it actually takes out the wrinkles. It addresses the wrinkles in your life. Amen? So, the good news is that, well, actually, before I give the good news, right, the news, I don't want to say bad news, but the news is that God does not wear wrinkled clothing. He doesn't wear dirty clothing either. Amen? God does not work with sin. God does not do what? Work with what? Sin. He may use sinners to accomplish certain tasks, but he never will give them a role in his kingdom. There's a difference between the two. He won't take a sinner and make the sinner the shepherd of a church. You understand what I'm saying? But he may use you like a believer needs money. He may use you to bless the person. But you want to go beyond God just using you for tasks, you know, and actually play a role in his kingdom. God does not hire sinners. He doesn't. But the good news is that you're clean. That's the good news. The good news is that what? You're already clean. That was the first thing Jesus did. The first thing Jesus did was he washed you. As a believer, he cleaned you. He made you right with God. Amen? If you look at 1 Corinthians 6.11, some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on him. By calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. Titus 3.5. And it says, he saved us not because of righteousness things, of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy, he washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. It wasn't because of your works. It's not because you're just this amazing person or this amazing human being or because you speak five languages or because you memorize the scriptures. He did it just out of his mercy. But you are clean. Say, I am clean. If you believe in Jesus, you're clean. <laughs> you know, you're clean. So that takes care of one part of things. But I tell you the truth, child of God, being washed in the blood does not guarantee the quality of life that God desires for you as a believer. You understand what I'm saying? Being washed in the blood does not guarantee the quality of life that God desires for everyone 
of his children. It makes you right with God, but it doesn't guarantee the quality of life. Being wrinkle-free, undergoing God's ironing process, his proving process, proving P, R, O, the one that ends in I-N-G, not the one that ends in E-N. That's how you guarantee the quality of life that God has for you. Amen? Why does God want to iron you out? Like, what are these wrinkles? So if you go to Ephesians 2, 2 to 3, it says it wasn't that long ago that you lived in religion, lived in religion, customs, and values of this world, obeying the dark ruler of the earthly realm who fills the atmosphere with his authority and works diligently in the hearts of those who are what, who are what, disobedient to the truth of God. That's the wrinkle. That is the what? That is the wrinkle. Being washed in the blood does not guarantee that you will obey the truth. You understand what I'm saying? Being washed in the blood does not do what? That you will obey the truth. If it was like that, every Christian would just obey the truth. Washed in the blood gets you started. But there's more. There's more. This is the wrinkle. And the Bible says if you don't obey the truth, you are under the rule of who? You're under the rule of the devil. He said, he called him, you obey the dark ruler. Unfortunately, you're going to obey someone. Every human being alive obeys someone, inevitably. There's no human being that doesn't obey someone. It's just, you're either going to obey the truth or you're going to obey the devil. Amen? It's one or the other. So why would you want to obey the dark ruler of this earthly realm? The one who prays, who leads you by your desires. You're led by your desires. You're led by pleasure. What feels good to you. Why would anyone want to obey them? The Bible says that the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Knowing that, why would you want to obey the devil? Why would you want to subject yourself to the dark ruler of this world? It doesn't make sense to me. If you go to, let's go to um, 1 Peter 5.8. The Bible says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil... He walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Why would you want to obey someone like that? The only reason I can think of is you don't know any better. Why would you want to obey someone who, 
whose aim in life who only exists to devour you. If you read Titus 3.3, 3, it says, For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. These are the things that will rule you when you suppress the truth of God, when you don't live for the truth of God. These are the things that rule you, various lusts. Too much for the Bible to even start listing all of it. That it just aggregated it into one word. Various. Amen? The devil has two main tactics, two main things he does. The first thing he does is he wants to dull your awareness of God's word, of God's will, and of God's presence. That's the first thing he wants to do. He wants to dull your awareness of God's word, of God's will, and his word, and his presence. The Bible says in Psalm 14 that a fool says in his heart that there is no God. Why does the devil want to dull this awareness? Because you can't lie to somebody who is in the presence of God. You just can't. Like, I'm looking at Broy Kulide. He's sitting here in the front row. I defy any one of you to convince me that Broy Kulide is sitting downstairs. Try. I see <laughs> Nadika sitting right there holding a Bible. Can you convince me that he's not there right now holding a Bible. Can you? You know when you can convince me? When I'm downstairs. <laughs> or when I'm upstairs or when I'm at home. You can come to me and say, man, Brian Adika came to church. He didn't even have his Bible. That's when I'm prone to believe you. Because I'm not in his presence. As long as I'm in his presence, I'm seeing the truth. The moment you talk, I'm like, <laughs> you're a liar. I'm in his presence. I'm seeing it. This is why the first move the devil does is not to lie to you. It doesn't ever start with lying to you. The first thing he does is try to catch you in a moment when you're not in the presence of God. He tries to get you away from the presence of God. What do I mean by that? You get so busy you have this hangout, that hangout. At no given point in your day, do you just spend time with God? When you're out and about your day and God prompts you, hey, can you pull apart and pray? You can't do that. He limits the amount of time you spend thinking on the word. That's his goal. The less time you spend in the awareness of God, the more time he has to pray on you. 
And then what happens? What happens? The less time you spend with God, the less aware. Okay? You may know God mentally. Like, I know Broikolide mentally. Right? But awareness has to do with the present. You understand what I'm saying? Awareness has to do with the present. You know? I know a lot of you mentally, but what you're doing in the present, I don't know. I only know when I'm in your presence. Like, I know you're sitting there. I know you're sitting there. I know you came to church. But if I'm not in your presence, I can't know what you're doing in the present. Unless I call you up, yo, what you doing? Oh, I'm in school. I'm in class. And then I know what you're doing in the present. The devil tries to dull your awareness of God's word. So in that present moment, you're not aware of what God says. In that present moment, you're not aware that God is actually there with you. So when you go through something discouraging, something that is not what you expected negatively, that's the moment the devil waits for to come and do what? Lie to you. The devil never comes to talk to you right after God blessed you. It's always that moment when you tend to be thinking about something other than what God said that he now takes that opportunity to lie to you. So he surrounds you with friends. He surrounds you with people whose sole purpose is to dull your awareness of him. You're minding your business. Somebody just comes and starts a political argument with you. Their goal, unbeknownst to them, is just to take your mind off of what God has said. The second thing he does is to deceive you. Amen? Now that you are primed, he begins to deceive you with lies and reinforce your ways. As a result, you become a servant to your lusts and pleasures. So now that you live a life in constant unawareness of what God says about your situation, he can now come and say whatever he wants to say in your thought life, using people. And you're more likely to buy it. That's what he does. So the safest guard against the devil is coming soon. <laughs> Amen? Let's go to, uh, I'm going to skip ahead. I'm sorry, our production. Let's go to Romans 13, 14. It said, clothe yourself with what? Clothe yourself with what? With the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. So how do you 
stop yourself from tending to indulge in evil desires, just be in God's presence. It's not that God leaves you. When I say be in God's presence, I mean be in the awareness of God. The way you do that is you have to constantly, constantly on your own, like intentionally, do things like meditate on the word, pray in the spirit, pray, read godly books, talk about God, like do whatever you can to constantly remain in the awareness that there is God and he's with me. You clothe yourself in the presence of God. When you wear clothes, do you like randomly throughout the day, take it off and then put it on, then take it off, then put it on? When you wear clothes, it's on. When you take it off, it's because you don't need it anymore. Or maybe you're switching to a different clothes. But it's on. Like this shirt, I'm not going to go take it off, then at some point during the service, put it back on, then take it off, then at some point put it back on. No. When it's on, it's on. That's how the presence of God should be with every child of God. You live constantly in the awareness that God is. That is the safest, that is the best defense against being ruled by your own lusts and your own desires. Amen? The Bible says in Colossians 3.12, it says, Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourself with tender-hearted mercies, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Above all, clothe yourself with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. This is, these are not different outfits. These are all parts of the same outfit. And that outfit was described in Colossians 3.10. It said, put on the new man. Kindness, mercy, love, it's all part of one outfit called the new man. The presence of God. The presence of God. You have to clothe yourself in that. And then... Besides clothing yourself in the presence of God, if you read James 4, 7, it says, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. In Galatians 5, 16, it says, Let me emphasize this. As you yield to the dynamic life and power of the Holy Spirit, you will abandon the cravings of your self-life. Submit to God, then resist the devil, and he will. F so the issue becomes submission, submission to God, submission to God. That is the key to, that is the key to being ironed, okay? You must master the, the, what's the word, the art or the craft or the, the skill of submission. It's a skill. 
and God has given you the grace to do so, you must master submission to God. A lot of Christians are affected by the devil, affected by circumstance, struggle to trust God because they're just generally not submitted to God. When they said, Jesus, become the Lord of my life, I don't know what that meant. You must master submission. Um, if I could get the table, I'm going to demonstrate this for you guys. I have uh, somebody that's going to help me with a little demonstration. Why are you getting the table um, and the cloth? If you read 1 John 4, 20 to 21, it says, If someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. For if they don't love people, can you, can you put the table up on the stage um, right here? <clears throat> Sorry. If you say in your heart that I love God, but you hate a fellow believer, that person is a liar. For if you don't love people, you can see. How can you love God whom you cannot see? And he has given us this command. Those who love God must also love fellow believers. I'm saying this to say that the Bible says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. Obedience is a measure of love. It's not the only measure of love, but it is a measure of love. <laughs> this is a secret to guys who are looking for wife. <laughs> you can always measure if a girl is into you by asking her to do stuff. Obedience, according to the Bible, is a measure of love. Anyone who does what God says loves him. And anyone who does what you say, I'm not talking about you're paying them or you're manipulating them. Like, they don't have to. But you just say, man, I'm craving rice. The next day she shows up with rice. She's into you. Obedience is a measure of love. Obedience is a what? Some of you sitting here that are married... When you were about to marry, they told you, don't marry this woman, oh, she's stubborn. She's a very stubborn woman. But you're just like, not with me. <laughs> when I tell her stuff, she, just, she doesn't show stubbornness because she loved you, because she favored you. That's why to everybody else, they experience the stubbornness. But to you, you just say something, and she's like, oh, yes, dear. So if you don't obey God, if you don't obey the truth, that is a huge problem. And a great way to learn obedience is to submit to authority. Human, human what? Human what? Human authority. God's ironing process begins with human authority. You understand what I'm saying? God's ironing process begins with what? Human authority. There has never been somebody God used that did not undergo God's ironing process. That God did not subject to human authority. Right? 
So something is helping me, right? Pow, you have already removed almost everything. Hold on. <laughs> so this is, okay, you haven't touched the back. This is a believer who has just given their life to Christ, right? This is a believer who has just given their life to Christ, right? Wrinkled, okay? Yes, they believe in Jesus, right? <laughs> but all this is rebellion, resistance that needs to be, it needs to be what? Ironed out. When you, look, I don't care who you are. When you give your life to Christ and say, Lord, you're my Lord, you don't mean 100%. There's still a little bit of resistance. It's coming from your flesh. It's coming from your unrenewed mind. There are things in you that will still resist the Lordship of God. You understand what I'm saying? I don't care if you mean it. Like you're like, you're even in tears, God. You're my Lord. There are things in you that are going to resist the Lordship of God. Your entire mind is not going to be like, well, he said it, so let's just submit. Your flesh is not going to be like, you heard the boss, let's submit. No, that's not the way it works. That's not the way it works. I mean, is it because I'm saying God, even you or young people with your parents, how many times have you resolved, man, I'm going to honor my daddy and my mommy? How long did that last? <laughs> Someone said two days. I don't think mine lasted that long. That very evening, I tell you the truth. Take out the garbage. Why? <laughs> Even with human authority, is it because I said parents? What about in your job? What about in your job? How many times has your boss told you to do something and you are like, man, I got you. And then you turned around and in your heart you are like, this woman. Always asking me, is, is this person's job? Why is she always giving it to me? You haven't mastered the art of what? Submission. And I'm telling you, if you haven't mastered submission, God cannot give you a role in his kingdom. He must prove that you are submitted to him, that he comes first. You are totally mind, body, and soul submitted to him. You must prove it. He did it with Abraham. Believe it or not, he did it with Jesus. The Bible said Jesus learned suffering through the things. Sorry, no, he didn't learn suffering, no. Please, no. <laughs> he learned obedience through the things that he suffered. Does this mean, and, and the Bible said that um, he was made perfect, right? Does this mean that at some point Jesus was disobedient? No, Jesus was never disobedient. He was always perfect. He popped out of Mary's womb, perfect, as a perfect person. What does it mean to learn? The, learn, the word learn there is the Hebrew word for prove. Jesus was proved to be obedient to God through the things he suffered. <laughs> Don't finish all the wrinkles, though. Leave some for me. Hold on. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> he, he was proven to be obedient through the things he suffered. How do you know I'm an obedient child if you haven't given me any instruction to obey? How? Explain to me how. How do you know that I am cooperative with you if you don't give me the opportunity to cooperate? How do you know that I'm a gentle person if you're not rough with me? If you're always giving me everything I want, I say jump, you say how high. 
How do you know I'm a gentle, kind, loving person? It's not when you walk up to me and slap me. <laughs> That's when you now know. You understand what I'm saying? Do you understand what I'm saying? How do you know I'm patient if when I say be ready at five, you're ready at five? <laughs> Is it not when, when I say be ready at five and I show up, <laughs> you're just waking up? That's when you know if I'm patient. Jesus learned obedience. Go and read the hell his disciples put him through. All the frustration they put him through. His own king rejected him. They say, is he not just the carpenter's boy? He learned he was proved. He was proven to be obedient through what he suffered. That is God's ironing process. God must prove you. God must what? Prove you. He must prove you. And a major way, there are other ways though, like true circumstance, but the way that God instructed me to tell you is through what? Human authority. God proves you through human authority. I don't care who you are. If you're not respectful to your parents, right, you're not shepherding God's flock. In fact, if you started a church, close it down. God is not behind it. You understand what I'm saying? God is not what? Behind it. I will never follow somebody who has not been proven spiritually. Which one of you owns a company and you hire somebody that has never worked in the job? Like this is, like you want somebody to be the president of your company and they're like, oh, let me see your resume. Oh, I've never worked. Does that make Does that make sense? doesn't make sense. You always want, the reason why companies ask for resumes is because they want to see that you're proven. And even in the interview, have you, who has been through interview in recent times? Seven interviews, seven different people. Then there's the psychological interview where they ask you questions to assess your, your thinking, your behavior. There's the technical interview where they want to know the technicalities of what you know. I'm like, ah. Uh-uh. Do you want to also do surgery and open me up and see if I have a heart and liver? What, the reason why they are being, and the, the most annoying part is that when you now get hired, the thing they will give you to do, you're just like, what? This is it? This is why I went through all this, to open Microsoft Excel and type a few numbers? You will think that they are hiring you to do rocket science. No, the reason why they are being thorough is because it is a general principle of life. You must be proven for me to hand you responsibility. And until, until you're proven, they're saying things I won't commit to you. I will give you lower things that you're proven in. There are things that just being of age makes you qualify for. Like the fact that you're not a child, I can allow you to do certain things. Just the fact that you're not a child. But there are things that no, even if you're a grown adult, you still need to be proven. Okay, Santo, sorry, I've left you standing here for a long time. Now, let's get to this. Amen? So, this was the example that God gave me in my heart, right? So, this is a believer. This is a believer. You've just given your life to Christ. This is you. (laughs) Santo has already destroyed. (laughs) You have already destroyed a lot of the wrinkles, right? So, now, what God must do is, 
do you want to guess what this is? It's an iron. But you want to guess what it stands for? Human authority. It's what? Human authority. Do you know the Bible says that there is no human authority that wasn't established by God? Do you, do you know the Bible says that? There is no human authority that wasn't established by God. This is human authority. You understand what I'm saying? And human authority does not feel good. Have you seen somebody being bossed around by another person and you're just like, wow, this is exciting. <laughs> this is my dream for you to just tell me what to do. No, it doesn't feel good. It does not feel good. Okay, you can turn it on and start ironing. Sorry. I started to do it because I'm not, I'm not a very great ironer of clothes. You dry clean. When you don't know how to iron, just dry clean. Praise the Lord. So, God does the ironing. Okay, don't look at agenda. Agenda is not relevant. God does the what? The ironing. God appoints human authority and puts them over you, right? It could be your parents, your boss, your spiritual leaders, the government, puts them over you, right? Now, as God is ironing, what happens to the physical iron in the natural? It gets what? Hot. If this <laughs> shirt could talk, it would be like, ouch. It would be like, what? Ouch. I bet if this shirt could talk right now, it would be like, please stop. Stop. This feels uncomfortable. This thing is hard. But it is necessary because if I, the great Onyeka, must wear this shirt, it has to do what? Be ironed. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just kidding. If the great Jehovah must wear you, must use you, you have to do what? Be proven. You must undergo his what? Ironing process. There's no way around it. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. You must undergo it. So he puts you under a pastor. He puts you under your parents and tells you, obey your parents, honor them. He puts you under a pastor and tells you to submit to them. Right? The Bible says, young people, submit to your elders. In the New Testament, elders is not talking about old people. It's talking about your spiritual leaders. If you read from the first verse, it defines what the elders are. You go in your job, the Bible says submit. That's God putting you on the table to do what? To iron you. And he's ironing you. Ironing you. And it feels, it feels uncomfortable. It does not feel good. It does not what? Feel good. So you're crying out, God, what is this? I feel oppressed. You start rebelling to your parents. <laughs> you start rebelling. If they, say, if they say go right, you instinctively go left to rebel, causing them heartache. Then I have to come here and be telling the parents to calm down. But meanwhile, you're the problem. <laughs> you're the problem. It's not your parents. It's, it's you. You're the problem. You're causing them heartache with your behavior, with your rebellion to authority. And you don't understand God is ironing you out because he wants to use you. You don't understand that concept. In fact, a lot of times God is doing this 
to prevent something major from happening in your life. A lot of trauma you go through, a lot of heartbreak experiences could have been avoided if you just submitted to authority. <laughs> Yesterday, they were making fun of my leg because I, had a lot, I have a lot of scars and things on my leg. It doesn't look pretty. I told them when I was younger, I used to get hurt a lot. I never told them. Almost every day I go to play soccer and this thing, I'll be bleeding. <laughs> I'll just wash it and cover it. Do you want to know why? When I go to play soccer, they'll be telling me, don't slide tackle. I'll go and slide tackle. So, a lot of times, as children, are you listening to me? A lot of times, as children, you get all these instructions and you start rebelling, just like the cloth. Oh my God, it doesn't feel good. Now, let me ask you a question, right? Somto, stop. What can this shirt do without Somto? Eh? Oh yeah, do something now. Eh? What can you do? It can't just be wrinkled. It can't, this is how useless you are without God. You understand what I'm saying? This is how useless you are without God. I do something. Be obedient. Be obedient. Obey your parents. Love God. Submit to God. I submit. Submit. I'm wasting my time. It's just a shirt. It can of its own do what? Nothing. The only thing it can do there is lie down and say, oh, yeah, something to take over. That's it. And even to lie down, who placed it there? Who? It's a living being that placed it there. It can't even place itself on the table. So you go complaining to God about God, my parents, my boss. Who do they think they are? They're your boss. That's who they think they are. I can answer that question for you. You don't understand that God placed you there. He's trying to iron you. Trying to iron you. Now, as you're being ironed, as you're being ironed, you become a cloth that is wearable. You understand what I'm saying? You're not wearable. Now, when God wants to go and start a revival in Somalia, <laughs> not Somalia, I don't know why I'm obsessed with Somalia. <laughs> when God wants to go start a revival in Beverly Hills, <laughs> when he goes to, the, to, to, wear, to wear a, um, a believer, when he wants to use somebody as a vessel, who do you think is speaking? The wrinkled person <laughs> or the iron person? The iron person. That's who he's speaking. He's not going to take a wrinkled um, believer to go and um, start a revival and to do stuff. No, he's not. Something to thank you. Yeah. Like, let's give her a hand. She brought her own personal iron and everything. That takes a lot of dedication. It's going to take the one that's been proven. That's who it's going to take. It's going to take the one that's been proven. You must undergo God's ironing process. 
There is no way around it. I can give you some examples as soon as I find them. <laughs> Moses, right? Moses served as a shepherd under who? Jethro. Guess how long he did that? 40 years. For 40 years, God did not talk to Moses. He just put him under Jethro and said, seven, and walked away. What did Moses end up doing? He ended up being the one God used to do what? To deliver the Israelites for how long? For how long? In fact, the day he saw the burning bush, according to the Bible, what was he doing in that moment? One sheep went away, and he went to look for it. It was in the, it was in the process of submitting to authority that God now called him. Come, I want to use you now. Elisha served Elijah for a few years. And even when Elijah told Elisha to go, Elisha said no, he refused. He said, I must get a double anointing of what you have. And then Elijah gave him an instruction. If you see me when I'm caught up in a chariot of fire, you'll get it. It was in the process of obeying that instruction that what happened? Jesus, the Bible said Jesus obeyed his parents in all things. And Jesus' ministry didn't start till he was 30 years old. So for 30 years, Jesus was a very obedient son. For 30 years, the son of God obeyed his parents in what? All things. For 30 years, 30 solid years. In fact, when John wanted to baptize him, Jesus said, no, I am the son of God. You don't baptize me? No. He said, we must do this for it is right. He submitted to the baptism of John. Because at that point, John was the authority. David was a wanted man for 15 years, but he refused to kill who? Saul. Why? He recognized the authority Saul had, the anointing Saul had. He said, who am I to touch what? God's anointed. Somebody who God established in that position. It is not for me. And the man, <laughs> I, don't know, I, don't, I don't know whether he did it or if he just saw, um, maybe he just saw Saul dying. He was trying to claim the credit. But he came bragging to David. Man, I saw Saul and I just ended him. He thought he would get gold. He got his head in his hand. David got pissed off. That's to show you how much reverence he had for human what? Authority. The centurion knew how Jesus' authority worked and was able to display what Jesus described as the greatest show of faith. Simply by being under authority. The Bible said, he said, I am a man under what? Authority. And I also have people who are what? Under my authority. And it was in that position of being under authority, he, he learned. He learned that Jesus 
has authority. And he's, he understood how authority works. If Jesus just speaks, everything that is under his authority will obey. Imagine that. God rejected Saul because he didn't submit to the authority of Samuel. Samuel will give him an instruction. He won't submit to it. God took away his kingship. For me, the greatest example is Paul. Because Paul was called, and it seemed like as soon as he was called, God just put him, like God just sent him to go and start preaching. There was no, like, there was no process where God said, submit this thing. As soon as he was called and his eyes opened, he was already preaching the gospel. And people, the believers were uncomfortable with it. But do you want to know what Paul said? He said, I obeyed the law. And if you read the chapter, he's talking about the sect of the Pharisees. He was a man under what? Authority for so many years. They would tell him, go here. The believers are doing this. Do this. He would do it. He was working against the believers, but he was still submitting to authority, to human what? Authority. So by the time God called him, Saul had already learned what? Submission. He had already done what? He had already learned submission. That is what God needs you to learn. You don't need to be a Christian to learn submission. You just need to submit to human authority to learn submission. But I tell you the truth. God, somebody who just gave their life to Christ today, but has learned submission, will be more useful in God's hands than a believer who gave their life to Christ 20 years ago, but never learned what? Submission. Find a believer who just instinctively, or maybe was just raised up to respect their elders, to just, they don't argue with you. If you're the authority, say, yes, sir. But they are not Christians, though. Let that person give their life to Christ. You will just see, it's almost like the speed at which they will grow. The speed at which God will start using them will be so exponential. Then look at a believer who is just rebellious but gave their life to Christ 20 years ago. The same way they were, the same way they will be. Submission to authority must be mastered by every believer. And a main way God teaches you this is through human authority. It's through human authority. You must be proven. Every believer must be what? Must be proven. Jesus had to be proven. It wasn't enough. The Bible saying he was the son of God was not enough. When he came to earth, he had to be proven to be the son of God. So, when you go home, wives, our lovely wives, lovely married women here, who is the authority in your home? Who now? Why don't they want to answer? <laughs> I ask a question now. Who's the authority in your home? Who? Don't say Jesus. It's not Jesus. Who's the authority in your home? You know who it is. Answer. 
Eh? No, louder. Say it louder. Your husband. Submit to your husband. <laughs> Men, don't smirk. Don't smirk yet. Because the Bible said, love your wife the way what? Christ loves you. So, loving your wife is submission to who? To God. You as a husband have to submit to God. And the expression of that submission is that you love your wife no matter what. And children, who's the authority in your household? Your parents. It's not your elder brother, your elder sister. It's your parents. Submit to them. Submit to who? And children of God, as members of Fountain of the Living World Church, who is the authority here? The pastors, especially Pastor Chinidu Emmanuel. And even before we even get to pastors, there are ministry heads that have been put over you. Ministry heads. When your ministry head, the, the head of your ministry is telling you to do something, you're always revolting. Stop it. Stop it. Allow yourself to undergo God's ironing process. It is necessary. It is what? And to the pastors, don't think I forgot you. <laughs> Who is your authority? Jesus. Jesus is the authority. So every pastor must submit to God. Every, you see how everybody has an authority. Everyone. There's nobody left without an authority. Everyone has one. If you can't think of who your authority is, at the end of the day, Jesus is. <laughs> Amen? Let us bow our heads in prayer. Father, we thank you. Thank you, Lord, for how you're teaching us to submit to you, to submit to those who you've put over us. Help us to undergo your ironing process, to not rebel against you, to not fight you, but to subject everything under you, under your leadership, in reverence, in respect, in honor. We need you, God, and we love you for being so patient with us and for working in us to do your will and your pleasure. Thank you, God, in Jesus' name.